looking at the, the last question of our doubt series. So if you've been with us, uh, we have been walking through this series asking what are the big, major, faith barrier kind of questions that uh, are around us and, and perhaps even in our own minds, what, what's causing us to, to stumble in our faith? What, what are the roadblocks? And so we've looked at a lot of these sort of big picture questions. You know, how can God be good if there is evil and suffering in the world? How can, how can Christianity be right if there's so many hypocrites in the church? Hasn't science just disproved the Bible? Hasn't church history disqualified uh, the, the message of Christianity? Isn't the Bible just a bunch of fairy tales? And this morning we are looking at our, our final question, and it's, is the church even important? And it's funny that uh, we're preaching on this because it's a little bit like preaching to the choir, isn't it? Right? You're all here. You showed up this morning for whatever reason you thought it was at least important enough to, to be here today. And, and so it's a little bit of preaching to the choir, but I'm going to guess that unlike all of the other questions that we've talked about in this series, I'm going to guess this one actually comes from inside the church. See, most of the time, I think those, those bigger questions often get challenged outside the church, people looking in, asking genuine questions that, that need answers, but I think this one is more often coming from inside the church, from those who are getting a little bit disillusioned with what goes on, asking the question, does it really matter? I mean, come on, does it really matter if I, if I show up? I can always listen online. Right? I, I can always just, you know, I can, I can catch up later. It's such a pain. Sunday morning, try and get up. It's early in the morning and trying to get my kids together. I mean, oh, oh why am I bothering with all of that? Right? Why, why should I get involved and actually serve and do something in the church? I mean, come on, that's way too much. None of that. It's not like that's going to save me. It's not like that makes me a Christian if I show up to church, right? Any more than going to a Canucks game makes you part of the team. No, you, you, it doesn't matter. So, so why are we bothering with it? Life is so busy. I spend all week driving my kids around to this thing or that, to that activity, a sports club. There's games on Sunday. And by the end of it, even when I have that time off, man, I'm tired. It would be so much easier just to stay home and rest. Is it really that important? Or maybe you're, you're someone who, who's thinking, you know what, I've just been burned by the church a lot, right? I, I, I've been burned by the church. There are people there, and, and you know what, I just don't want to go back. I, I want to keep my distance. I don't really like engaging in because, honestly, last time I did that, I got hurt by someone. So I'm just going to kind of sit back and enjoy the show. And it's interesting, as you look at, at statistics around church attendance, you'll notice that this trend, trend has been changing. Nowadays, if you go to church twice a month, you're considered a regular attender. That's, that's 50%. It's actually not that much. And in fact, if you look at central statistics, it's pretty much the same. Right, And I think part of this is a reaction against what, what has been a very legalistic understanding in the past, right? Where, where if you missed a Sunday morning service, you'd have the elders showing up at your door Monday morning demanding to know where you were and see a, a doctor's note if you were sick, right? I'm not suggesting we, we go to anything like that, but I think we've probably swung the pendulum now so far the other way where we said it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter if you show up at all. 
And I think we've missed the mark again. And so this morning, I want us to, to look into this question to say, is the church actually important? And, and the way I want us to answer this uh, is by actually saying, well, what is the church? What, what is a church? It's really hard to say something is important or not if you can't actually define what the church actually is and, and what the church is to be doing. And so this morning, that's what, I, what I'd like us to do. If you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open to the book of First Timothy. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning, and we're actually only going to be looking at one verse. We're going to look at one verse, 1 Timothy 3 verse 15. If you're familiar with the book of 1 Timothy, you'll know it's, it's Paul writing to his student, Timothy, and he's writing to him about how the church is to be organized, how they should be running the church and putting it all together. And so verse 15 of chapter 3, Paul adds in this little description of what the church is. And so I want us to focus on that and, and, and actually understand what he is saying. So if you have a Bible with you, let me uh, invite you to follow along. We're going to start in verse 14 just so that we get some of the context. But this is the word of God. I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. All right. Well, that's what we're going to spend our time uh, unpacking this morning. Would you bow with me just in a word of prayer? Oh, Father, we are so thankful, Lord, that you gave us the church called us to be a, a body, a, a family together. Lord, that you would dwell among us, be with us. Father, empower us to, to hold fast to your word, to hold it aloft that others might see and hear and know the truth of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray this morning, would you be working in our hearts to that end, that we might be the church, that, that we might uh, display your glory and that we might uh, give you all the glory in our midst. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, Paul gives this little, very, very short, concise definition of the church. There's certainly more to be said about what a church is, but I think he really unpacks, or, or actually probably packages it up, two of the major things we need to know about the church. That is, what the church is is, what, what is its nature, how do we define what a church is, and then secondly, what the church is to be doing. And so as we kind of wrestle through this question, is the church important, I want us to, to unpack it in this way. Now, my answer to that question is probably going to surprise none of you when I say, yes, I think the church is important. But the better question is really why? Why do I think that the church is important? Why does the Bible think the church is important? And so that's what I'd like us to see here this morning. So let's just start off by saying, well, what the church isn't, right? It's pretty obvious, and, and many of you have probably heard this many times, the church isn't a building, right? Clearly, that, that's not the case, and I'm very glad, because then that would make us very, very confused here meeting in a school gym, right? If the church was the building, we would be in trouble, Right? We have a setup team that comes every single uh, Sunday morning, and they set up for the church. Right? They don't set up the church. They set up for the church. It's, it's a small distinction, but it's very important. 
right? The church is not a building. No, you've probably heard it before, but the church is the people, right? Look, look back at verse 15. Let's, let's let Paul say that for us. He says, uh, he's writing these things so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So he says two things here about the church. First of all, it is a household. It is a family, right? The people of God are to be understood as a family, right? Not just some sort of symbol or organization or building or or anything else like that. Yes, a church has all of those things, but the church isn't defined by its organization. It's defined by the people being united together as a family, right? Paul uses this language of of a household. Now, in ancient Rome, a household actually included a lot of people, right? A household was, was really everything from where you live to how you conduct your business. That was within your household. So you'd have, you'd have a, a husband and a wife, and you'd have kids, sometimes grandchildren, all in one household, along with other people who had just sort of shown up. You'd have people who uh, were part of the, the business that was being run, maybe people who worked in the fields, maybe even slaves were all a part of this household. And so you might well ask, well, okay, then how does Paul intend us to understand this? If he's calling the church the the household of God, what exactly does that mean? And and I think Paul answers that for us in Romans chapter 8. Paul again writing says, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, the truth is what we have in the gospel, what it does is it makes us into brothers and sisters with Christ. With Jesus now we have become fellow heirs that we can actually approach God as dad, that we can come to him on familial, familial terms. And unless we miss the full impact of this, just re- remind ourselves where the Bible says we begin this whole journey. See, the Bible says we actually begin this not as part of God's family, but actually far outside as enemies of God, actually rebels against him. We are dead in our trespasses and our sins. We are under his wrath. We are alienated from God. We are not close to God. We are terrorists to God. There is animosity between us. But see, the good news of what God has done is that he didn't leave us there. No, he actually sent Jesus to earth to live as our example, to die in our place, to rise again to a new hope so that we might, by faith, be united into his family. And all at once, we go from from opposition to now family relationship. It's not as if when we come to Jesus now, we're, we're sort of like, you know, neutral strangers. Someone you just kind of pass by in the street, you don't really give a second thought to. No, in fact, we are actually called family, adopted as sons and daughters with Christ. Hebrews 2 says Jesus is not ashamed to call us his siblings. That's why in the New Testament, the language between believers is always that of brother and sister. Because that's the reality of what has happened to us in the gospel. When you put your faith in Jesus, what happens is that the relationship between you and God has now transformed completely. 
You can now approach God, but it has also transformed the relationship between us and each, each other. It transforms how we relate to one another. And Paul's whole point here is that the church is meant to be this visible expression, tangible, physical demonstration of God's family. So why is the church so important? Because it is this picture of what Jesus has done, brought us together, uh, people from all different walks of life, different ages, generations, backgrounds, ethnicities, that's a hard word, languages, back uh, experiences, and brings all of us into one family. See, the church is made up of those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, have been saved by his grace, and are now gathering around together. See, that's what the church is meant to be. See, I'm sure many of you are are familiar with the fact that the, the Greek word there for church the Greek word ekklesia, means gathering, it means assembly. It's, it's this group of people coming together. So we, we can say, yes, the church is not a building, it's a people, but it's also a people gathered. It's a people who are coming together. See, New Testament talks about the church being a body. No body has all of its parts separated out. No, the body has to be together for it to be working properly. So it's, it's right to say that the church isn't existing in a building, in a, in a place, or sorry, it doesn't, it isn't a building, it isn't a place, but it exists in a place. The church actually comes together and gathers, right? We can say that actually we are the church here this morning, us right now, gathering together. We, we actually are the church. It's not some sort of nebulous thing out there. It's right here together as we meet together and worship, right? The local church is the manifestation of God's family for the watching world to see. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it this way. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Right? Paul says a lot in there, but two things I want us to see. First of all, Paul says, you are being brought. You're no longer strangers with one another. You are family together. Right? It is this familial household language that Paul is using. But the second thing he says there is as you are coming together, you are being built together into the dwelling place of God. Right? Paul here is using language that, that, that would echo back to the temple in the Old Testament. Right? Any, any Jewish reader would have seen that immediately. Paul is saying that, that no longer is the presence of God dwelling in the temple. Instead, the presence of God is dwelling in the people of the church. That as they gather together, that is where God's presence dwells. And so that's the second thing I want us to see. First of all, yes, the church is the family of God coming together, but secondly, it is the dwelling place of God. See, that's, I think, what Paul is also hinting at as we read verse 15. Paul says it is a household. 
Right? There's a place, there is a dwelling, there is a home that is understood there, and it is the home of the living God who dwells with his people. See, what happens on a Sunday morning is more amazing than just a family get-together. It's good to be together and, and to worship and to sing and do all these things, but that's not what makes it so amazing. It's because God actually dwells with his people that as we gather as the church, that is where God's presence is. Listen to how Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians. He says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There is a particular presence of God that exists in the church that does not exist elsewhere. A particular grace God has for his gathered people together, or let me put it just another way. When you miss out on a Sunday morning, you miss out on a particular means of grace that God has for you. It is the dwelling place of God amongst his people See, I, I know sometimes people will say, you know, it doesn't really matter if you miss a Sunday. It's not really a big deal. You don't, you don't miss all that much, right? You can always catch up online. You can just watch a sermon on, or a, a service on TV or online, whatever. You can see the whole thing. You can, you can attend by Skype or FaceTime. The truth is that will never be a substitute for gathering with the people of God in his presence. There's a difference that happens. Let me give you just a very personal example. Uh, it was a number of years ago, I, I, was, I was going through a very rough patch in my, my spiritual walk. I, I had fallen into a, a number of sin patterns that were just really, really unhelpful, very destructive. I, I was just very depressed, didn't want to see anyone, didn't want to go to church, didn't want to see or do anything with God. I was trying to run away as best I possibly could. I'd been sick for a little while, and so I had missed, you know, church services, and, and some I had just said, I don't really want to go to, but, but finally it had been so long, I just thought, ah, okay, fine, like, I'll, I guess I have to go. And I, and I snuck in the back. My church had a balcony, so I was right at the very back of the balcony, didn't want to talk to anyone. But that morning, God actually had a grace for my life. I'm not sure I can fully explain what happened. I didn't talk to anyone. I, I don't remember the sermon. I don't remember the songs. But I left that day with tears in my eyes. I was confronted with the God who is there and who had grace for a wayward sinner like me. I was utterly convicted of my sin, but I realized more than anything, I wanted to know God more. I wanted him more than I wanted any of that sin. I didn't want to sit in it any longer. I actually wanted to pursue after God. It was a grace that was simply given as I came back into the presence of God. See, there's a reason I love the church. And hear me, it's not because the people are so lovely. I've been burned by churches. I've been hurt. I've seen betrayal. I've seen seemingly godly people do horrific things. I, I, I get why people are sometimes upset. I get why people stop liking churches. 
but I don't love the church because the people are lovely. I love the church because it's where the presence of God dwells. It's where God is with his people. It's where God meets us. Now hear me, I'm not saying God can't operate outside of a Sunday morning. Of course he can. I'm not saying that God isn't with you throughout the week. Of course he is. What I'm saying is there is a particular grace, a particular presence that is with the gathered people that you cannot replicate elsewhere. And so what I'm saying is that when you actually miss a Sunday, it's not that you miss a couple songs. It's not that you miss a sermon. It's not that you miss announcements or anything else that happens on a Sunday morning. What you miss is the presence of God being with you. See, I I know all of us at some point are going to miss a Sunday morning. We we won't be there for whatever reason. I want to ask you, at that moment, is your reaction to weep or, or to shrug? It'll tell you a lot about how you think about church. See, the gathered church is uniquely the dwelling place of God. Don't miss out. It's why the church is so important. It's because it is the people of God having been transformed by the gospel into a family who is dwelling in the presence of God that is worth so much. It is vitally important to our spiritual life. In fact, Paul has even more to say on this. After kind of defining what the church is, he moves on and says, well, this is what the church ought to be doing. What are we called to do as a church? You can look back at verse 15. Paul says that the church of the living God is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Right? This is the the mission of the church. might not sound exactly like it. But Paul gives us here this, this building analogy, right? Pillar and buttress. Those are architecture terms. I'm going to assume most of us are familiar with pillars, right? Long vertical column, hold up the roof, right? Very, very common in Roman architecture, right? Timothy and Paul would have been very familiar with that one. But at least if you're anything like me, I have no idea what a buttress is. So I had to look this one up and so looked it up. Essentially, it's, it's this architectural thing often off the side of buildings. It holds up the walls or holds up the roof depending on where and how it's placed. I'm sure there's an engineer or construction who can explain that far better than me, but all I can say is it keeps it secure, all right? It holds something in place. In fact, some of your translations might even say pillar and foundation. Right? That, that's the idea that Paul is getting here. It is what holds something secure. And so Paul says the purpose, the mission of the church is to hold the truth secure. Is to actually hold it firm and, and not waver from it. The church is to hold the truth of God's word firm. Paul writes to Timothy in the next letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
Paul tells Timothy, look, I need you to be aware of the fact that that we are prone to wander away. We are prone to to kind of want something that kind of scratches our ears. Sounds nice. Oh, I like the, the sound of that. I like that kind of thinking. And yet, Paul says, Timothy, your, your charge is not to, to, to just preach whatever people want. It's to preach the Word. Preach the Bible to your people so that they can hold it secure, so that they can know it, that, so that they can follow to it. See, I'm sure we can find lots of examples of churches who haven't done this. We don't need to name any. But we've seen what happens when you start to just ignore parts of the Bible, where you start to say, well, it doesn't really matter, and you see that slow decline into nothingness. The church is called to hold firm to the Word of God. Jesus himself even prays this for us. Right before he goes to the cross, John 17, he writes, or he prays, sorry, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. As you sent me into this world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. See, I I love that ending because Jesus is praying for us. At the beginning, Jesus is praying for his disciples, those who are physically there, and then says, but I'm also asking these things for those who are going to believe through their words. That's us. Jesus is praying for us that we would be sanctified, transformed, conformed to the truth of his word. That's what Jesus is praying to the Father on our behalf. And so the church is corporately called, hold firm to the truth of the word of God. Be transformed by it. But we are called corporately, we are also called individually. Right? The church is not some organization. The church is the family, the people of God. And so the Bible calls us, hold one another accountable. Encourage one another. Writer of Hebrews says exactly this. He says, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, the habit that we have of of coming to meet every Sunday actually has a purpose. It's so that we can encourage one another, be building one another up so that we would be following after God, so that we'd be holding firm to His Word. That's why we have this discipline. That's why we come together, to encourage one another, to remind ourselves, to bring us back every single week. We need that. So so let me ask you then the question, who holds you accountable? Who who speaks into your life? Who who knows you and can say, hey, hey, I've I've noticed that you're kind of wandering off right now. Who's going to be the one to to call you back? Maybe let me ask that in a slightly different way. Biblically, who should be holding you accountable? See, actually, it... It's great to have friends. It's great to have people who who can speak into your life. But if your answer doesn't include the church, let me ask why not? Because biblically, that's where our accountability comes from. It comes from within the church itself that we would actually hold one another to the Word of God. See, that's why I think 
Things like ministry partnership are so important. That's why I think being a part of the church, being a member with us, declaring, yes, I want to be held accountable and I want to hold others accountable as well is so vitally important to our spiritual walk. It's what we're called to do as Christians. See, the church isn't some sort of optional part of the Christian life, some sort of extra add-on, really, if you want to be serious about it, sure, you can join a church. Actually, it's meant to be foundational for us, a vital part of our growing to be more like Christ. It's like a cast wrapped around broken limbs. It holds us fast to the truth of the word. The church is meant to be a body that nourishes because we can't actually do everything on our own. No part of our body can exist outside of the whole. It dies In fact, that's exactly what we're meant to understand when it comes to the church. We are called to be a part of what happens here on uh, in the church. The church is intended to hold the truth secure, and so everything we're doing is an attempt to do that. Right? There's a reason we have preaching as part of our Sunday gatherings. It's not just because we need something to fill the time. Right? We we actually preach from the Word every Sunday. Why? Because we need that to hold us fast once again. It's why we sing songs, right? It's why we worship together. It's not simply because, hey, you know what? That's really nice. I enjoy it. We have a lot of good musicians here. Actually, we're doing that because we want to align our hearts again with the truth of God's Word. See, as preaching helps our our minds be more and more conformed to God's Word, so worship conforms our hearts to be more like Him. It's a vital part of what we do together. It's the reason why we have things like baptism and and the Lord's Supper, why we have communion, because it's these reminders bringing us back to what Jesus has done for us. It's why we have elders, this specific group of men who are called, who are tasked to lead the church so that we might not wander from the truth. The church is to hold fast to the word of God, the gospel delivered once for all to the saints. But if that's it, we've missed it. See, Paul didn't just say it was to be a buttress, but a pillar and a buttress. That is, the church is meant to hold the truth secure, yes, but is meant to hold the truth aloft. Right? Nothing set on a pillar is intended to be hidden. No, what you put on a pillar, you intend to be seen by everyone around you. The truth is meant to be proclaimed in the church so that everyone can see the good news of what Jesus has done. As the church is this visible display of God's family, we are to be holding out this salvation to all who would hear. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, he says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is according to to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, the eternal purpose, the internal plan of God was that the church might display, put on display, Jesus. That is God's intention for how the gospel is to spread and be shared. It's going to be through his church, through his people. If I can be more specific, it's God's plan for promontory. It's us. 
his church, his people, not some agency, not some lone ranger missionary. Actually, it's going to be his church full of missionaries going out, holding up the truth of what Jesus has done, who gather together to hold the word and go to share the good news with their friends and neighbors. The Bible calls us to do this both corporately and individually. And I think sometimes we we get this a little bit confused. I think sometimes when it comes to evangelism, we, we think so much about how we are to do it individually. We think we have to have this whole message and speech prepared, and we've got to do it all by ourselves. But actually, that's not a biblical pattern. Or you can think of Paul, even in the book of Corinthians, says he planted the seeds and then Apollos came along and he watered and God gave the growth. Even for the apostle Paul, he didn't think evangelism was something he could do just by himself. He actually needed the body of Christ around him to actually fulfill, or yeah, fill out what he was doing. See, I I think sometimes we think we have to do it all by ourselves, and we never even think, hey, maybe my church can help. Maybe my church can help me share the gospel to my neighbor, to my coworker, right? And, And honestly, it can happen very simply, simply talking about what did you do over the weekend? What did you do? You went to church? Why? How come you did that? And start breaking into some spiritual conversation. Say, hey, maybe you want to actually come. Meet some of these other people who are also here on a Sunday morning, who are part of my spiritual family, right? We can actually begin to support one another in prayer, yes, but even as we go out and share with different people, let them see the body of Christ at work. No, we're we're not perfect, right? Sure, we, we, we have all kinds of things wrong with us, but... Nonetheless, this is also the place where God's presence dwells. Maybe we ought to be not so concerned about having to explain it all on our own and simply say, come, be a part. Come see what we do on a Sunday morning. Come hear the gospel as we lift it high, as I live it out, as you see those around me. This is meant to be done together, not just on our own. It's not that we go out now and become lone ranger Christians. No, actually, we're still part of the church. Even if that church isn't gathered at the moment, we can say we are together. See, I think we as Canadians, we're so guarded about anything spiritual that even just bringing up your own life can become difficult, and yet I think we are so desperately lonely that the church is such a shining beacon of what it looks like to be with Christ. becomes this lighthouse as we lift up the truth in the body of Christ together. So I want to encourage you. The church is massively important. It's massively important because it is a people transformed by the gospel of Jesus into a family dwelling in his presence so that the truth is held and proclaimed. It's vital to our spiritual growth, to our perseverance, and to our witness to others. So then let me ask you the question, how important is it to your life? How important is it And I mean, take an honest look. Do you view it more like, well, I I show up. 
It's like a movie that you come to on a Sunday morning. You know, it'll play whether I'm there or not. It doesn't really matter. Right? If, if I get involved or not, it doesn't really make a difference. It's kind of like a lecture. You know, it's interesting to, to think about for a little while, but then it doesn't have any lasting impact. Let me encourage you that that's not how the church is to be viewed. Biblically, it is the place of God's people. Would we value that? Would we cherish that? It is the place where God dwells with us. There is nothing that we do more important than to be with God each and every week. It's not an optional add-on. It is a vital part of our spiritual life. If we are not there, we are missing out on what God is doing. More than that, we actually miss out on what God was going to do through us. Right? The church as a whole ends up suffering. But on the other hand when we are gathering together, when we are looking to build one another, another up, to encourage one another in the truth, to sing it together, to hear it together, to proclaim it together, we magnify the greatness of our God together. We give Him glory. That is our goal, that we might actually glorify God, that we might lift up the name of Jesus and declare He is our Savior. See, the church is the proclamation of God's gospel, so would you lean into that? Would you lean into the church even more? Right? Maybe for some of you, that's just taking that step of membership, becoming a ministry partner, saying, I'm actually going to be held accountable by the church, and I'm going to help and work to hold others accountable as well. Maybe it means that you need to actually serve in the church, you actually need to say, you know what, I actually have gifts that I need to be blessing others so that they can come into the presence of God as well. I, I want to serve for that purpose. Maybe it means I actually want to share. I actually want to be sharing about what God has been doing in my life, and, and I need the help of those around me, and, and I need people who can, who can support me, who can pray for me, who can even come in with me and, and help share the gospel with my friends and neighbors. So I want to encourage you, lean into what God is doing in the church. It is so vitally important to our lives. This is not some optional add-on. It's the presence of God among us. God has called us to be His family so that we together might serve Him and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank You so much, Lord, that You, that you called us together to be a body, to be a family, that You have saved us by what Jesus has done on the cross so that we would no longer be strangers, exiles, but that we would be Your children, that we might be brothers and sisters. Father, I pray, would You grow us in unity together, that we might be founded on Your truth, that we might not be distracted that we might proclaim what you have done, that we might lift up the name of Jesus so that all might hear. Lord, as we meet together, might that be our cry. As we go out into our weeks, Lord, might we continue to hold you high. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to move into a time of communion. It's one of those things we get to do as a church body as we gather together to remind us of the truth of what Jesus has done.
And so that's really what communion is. It's this symbol. It's a reminder of what Jesus has done for us, how it is that we came to be a family. It's because Jesus went to the cross, because He died in our place. He took that punishment for our sins, and out of His immense love for us, He died in our place. And so communion is the reminder of exactly that. So if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, He is your Lord and Savior, I'll invite you as the band plays to to come forward and take part. But I'm going to ask that before you do, would you take a moment just in the quietness of your own heart, confess your sins before Him. If there are any unconfessed sins, take some time and simply repent of them. Come before Jesus and then come forward and partake together as we remember what it cost, as we remember what Jesus has done for us. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't say He is your Lord and Savior. I'll invite you, just remain where you are. Please don't feel singled out. Everyone here was once at a point where they also didn't participate. But now as we gather together as a family, as we come together as the people of God in the presence of God here with us, let's take time and remember. Let's worship together our great and amazing God.